This year, we, uh, we want to give you a new perspective of Jesus Christ. We want you to have a new view of him, an enhanced view. Perhaps come to appreciate him more. And perhaps to get rid of some theology concerning Christ. Do you know what folk theology is? Old tales. Perhaps to get rid of some tabloid theology. You know what tabloid theology is? That has to do with gossip, you know, and just talking things. No proof for it. No, uh, uh, and it's amazing how many of us base our understanding of Christ and even Christianity on folk theology, on tabloid theology. No foundation. Just hear it. Just being around. So we accept it. And so it is my desire as an individual and also as a pastor here, to get a new appreciation for Christ, to look at him afresh. Try to look at Christ as though I had never looked at him before. See, sometimes you get so used, so familiar, we don't see. And you need to back off sometimes. For instance, close your eyes. Trust me, I'm not going to take your money. <laughs> close your eyes. Think now. Jesus Christ. What does he look like to you? Okay, open your eyes. Tell me what you saw. What did you see? You saw me. Oh, boy. I wasn't expecting that one. What did you see? Blank. Blank. Now, be, now, listen. Be honest. What did you see? What did you try to get out of your mind so you wouldn't see? What came to your mind first? Long hair, blonde, white man. Blue eyes. Isn't that right? What they call the Hallman, Hallman portrait. Well, that's folk theology. That's tabloid theology. Jesus was not a white person. He wasn't black either. Right? He wasn't red either. He wasn't yellow either. Jesus was a Jew. Some people say he was mulatto. Some say he was dark brown, olive. But he wasn't white. He wasn't black. He wasn't a Chinese. He was a Jew. But I appreciate that anyway. But that's how we see Jesus. Now, you take that picture away from some people, and they don't want Jesus anymore. You know that? Isn't it strange that in the Bible, we don't have any real description of Jesus Christ? We have some. Now, I tell you that Jesus was probably not a handsome person. Would you like that? No. You want to see Jesus as a handsome six-foot-two, perfectly formed. Now, he might have been strong, but being a carpenter and, and out, maybe... But if you read the descriptions that we do have concerning him as a human being, Jesus was not such a good-looking fellow. In fact, he was not outstanding at all. It seemed, remember, when he was to be arrested, people didn't know him. If he was that outstanding for all those years, didn't you think that he would have been able to be detected without having to be kissed by a betrayer? But think about some of the descriptions of Jesus Christ as a human being. Can you think of any? How is he described? No form nor commonness that we should desire him. That's not, so, that's not so complimentary. A root out of dry ground. What else? A man of sorrows. Hmm? Jesus Christ was a human being. Just like you and me. But he was also God. It's hard to describe Jesus. I tried everything because I want to see him. But it's hard getting all of these things. It is true. When we say... What do I see when I see Jesus? We should see a blank when it comes to a picture because we don't know what he looks like. 
Now, if you want to look at him on the cross, you can go to Psalm 22, and you could get a picture of Jesus Christ. But you don't want to look at that. His flesh torn and bones protruding, blood streaming down his face, eyes probably swollen, nose and face probably swollen because of the punches he's gotten from wicked men. You don't want to see that. But that's our Jesus. He was a perfect man. He was given by God the Father, and he, as we met song tonight, he was just a giver of perfect gifts. Paul says he was an indescribable gift. And that's the one that we have to get a hold of somehow. We have to get a true picture of who Jesus Christ is. To get a true picture of him or how he was a man might be very difficult because there's no picture. We can't get photocopies of Jesus Christ. But when he was on earth, John says that we beheld his glory, even as a man. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But Jesus is seen in his resurrection, or after his resurrection. And there is a description of that. And this is the one that I sort of get in my eyes now that I start to think and to reflect upon Jesus Christ. Who is he? And I want you to do the same, not to get stuck on what he looks like, but we have to see him as a person. And I think what you're going to see is that the Bible wants us to see him in his glory rather than in his humanity. Now, I'm not sure that yet because I'm just working through this myself because I want to get a different view. And here is a description of Jesus Christ. Book of Revelation, chapter 1. This is John on the Isle of Patmos. This is what he says, verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Now, one thing we know about Jesus and his resurrection, he was a loud preacher. The Bible says so. I heard a loud voice. Now, some try to determine how could Jesus speak to so many people, hundreds, perhaps even thousands, here, when he was here on earth, without getting laryngitis, hoarse. They're still trying to figure that out. How could he speak to so many people? Now, if you think he whispered, when he was on the mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you, blessed. He didn't talk like that. He had to speak loud. He had to shout. And when he was in the marketplaces, now what is a marketplace? That's a nice place where everybody's nice and quiet, right? Mm-mm. No, Jesus had to be speaking over the noise, you see. Get a picture of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says here now. Write a book what you see. Write in a book what you see. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And notice, then I turn to see the voice. I turn to see the voice. Now this is why we cannot take the Bible literally all the time. Okay, don't go. You've got to take the Bible literally, but you've got to understand what literalism means. Did you think he really turned to see a voice? What did he turn to do? Who was speaking, right? He turned to see who was speaking to him. I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. I see, we've got to think about this. As I go through this now, what does the Son of Man look like? Does it mean simply a human being? 
Or does the son of man have a different connotation to it? So one like a son of man. What does that mean? So I'm trying to get a new perspective of Jesus Christ to understand this divine word that we have. The son of man. This is a special name that Jesus Christ actually used of himself more than any other title. Jesus called himself the son of man more than he called himself Jesus in the text. Son of man. I think it speaks of the humanity. I think it speaks of the incarnation. It speaks of a human being. A son of man clothed, by the way, is like a son of man. So it's a connotation that the son of man carried a special significance. Clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. This man you had to dress. You know how I like to disdain robes and everything else? Now when I come here, I got to back off. A robe reaching to the feet. And by the way, this is a special robe. They have different kinds of robe, different length robes. Robes with sashes had different colors and meant different things. The way you put it around, all kinds of significance here. And this is speaking here of majesty and power and authority. A robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest was a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool. Get a new view of Jesus Christ. Get rid of that Holman portrait. His hair and his hair, his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. This was white. Another symbolic truth here of wisdom and as well as age and experience. His eyes were like a flame of fire. What does that mean? Penetrating, searching, convicting. Jesus looked at you. He knew you were a sinner. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. Bronze, heated, red hot, pure. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like a sun shining at 12 o'clock. That's the sun shining in its strength. That's when the 12 o'clock is when the... The sun is at its height. It's getting ready to go down, but it's at its height. That's Jesus. That's how his face was shining. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. That always happens when anyone gets a true picture of Jesus Christ. You fall down and you worship him. That's why I want us to get a new perspective of Jesus Christ in 2006. How do you see Jesus Christ? How do you regard him in your life? See, just the picture there on the wall. What does he mean to you when you pray and you meditate? Who do you see? Who is this Jesus Christ? Of course, we can't get the picture of a person just by what he looks like. But many times the scriptures gives us Pictures, symbols of what he looks like to tell us something else. Notice what he says. Do not be afraid. I like that. At the time when we are most afraid, when we're standing before a holy, majestic God, a just God, who knows everything about us, we're frightened to death. Don't be afraid. Isn't that wonderful? In fact, this is one of the most amazing things. You go to scripture and you see these things when people confront Jesus and they're afraid. Most of the times, the words to follow are, don't be afraid. Isn't that great? This one, we do not have to fear in a frightened way. Reverence, yes, but not to be afraid of. 
That's because of his grace. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Just about every letter in the alphabet is used in the scripture to describe the person of Jesus Christ. He was here at the beginning. In fact, he is the reason for the beginning. He's been here all the while. He'll be here if there's any end because he has no ending. That's Jesus Christ. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. All power is given to this one. Power over life, the power over death. Satan does not have the power over death. Jesus took it from him. Did he have it? We were fearful of the one. But Jesus is wonderful Lord. He went to the cross and he died for you and for me. So that we don't have to fear death. Nor Satan. Nor sin. That's Jesus Christ. What perspective do you have of Jesus Christ? Do you love him? Oh, I implore you, join me in 2006 as we seek to get a new perspective of Jesus Christ. The one we say that we love, the one that we say we serve. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been to a conference that only spoke about Jesus Christ? Have you ever heard of one? Isn't that amazing? You get conferences about everything. Money, how to save money, how to preach, how to teach, how to sing. What's the church all about? But have you ever been to a conference that only focused on Jesus Christ? But guess what? You're going to be one of a conference like that. And that's all we're going to talk about, Jesus Christ. I was just writing it down there. I'm sorry, I was listening to all you singing for a while. But then all of a sudden it came about him in eternity. Who was Jesus before he came to earth? As creator. He is creator. He is creator, isn't he? When he came as a baby, as a baby, what was the incarnation all about? As a man, he was tempted at all points. As we, what did it mean? What was it for Jesus Christ to be a man? All the feelings that we have to face all. What is that all about? His ministry, his miracles, his suffering, his death, his going to among the dead, his resurrection. His ascension is being seated in glory at the right hand of his father. What does it mean for him to be a high priest? What does it mean for him to be our intercessor? He's right there now, you know. He's on the job, you know. He isn't sleeping. You and I are causing all kinds of troubles here that our lawyer got to take care of. You see? And he's there. He's coming back. He's coming back as the judge. He's coming back as the rewarder. He's coming back as king. Isn't that right? That's our Jesus. And you know one of the most glorious things about it all is that just Jesus wants to be formed in us. Wants to be, in other words, he wants to be seen in us. He wants to be manifested in us. He wants to be incarnated. Isn't that wonderful? This Jesus. I want you to get a new vision of Jesus. I want you to fall in love with Jesus Christ all over again. And I want to help you get rid of all of the false impressions you have of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to look at a short video that talks about this man, Jesus Christ. And I trust this will help you to appreciate him more. To come to, to truly appreciate this man, this God-man. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, I trust that tonight you will come to place faith in Christ. In fact, when we finish this, we're going to give an invitation. And we're going to ask you to make a decision for Jesus Christ. If you never committed your life to Jesus Christ, 
Uh, when you get this new or begin to get this new vision of Jesus Christ, I trust that you will resubmit or recommit your life to Jesus Christ, reconsecrate your life to Jesus Christ. He deserves it. He's a man of all seasons. Bow on a word of prayer, then we'll view the video. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, your indescribable, unspeakable gift, perfect gift. Lord, help us to fall in love, in love afresh in 2006 with your indescribable gift, Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Some time ago, a brilliant young medical student from another land and a devout follower of one of the world's great Eastern religions came to see me. Through the months that I had known him, we had become good friends. I asked this young man three questions. John, who in your opinion is the greatest leader that the world has ever known? After a moment of hesitation, he replied, I'm sure that Jesus has done more good than anyone who's ever lived. I would say that he is the greatest leader. Then I asked, who do you think is the greatest teacher no doubt he must have thought of Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, and the other great philosophers of ancient and modern times. But he answered, the greatest teacher is Jesus. Finally, I asked, John, in your opinion, who in the entire history of man has lived the most holy life? Immediately, he answered, there has never been anyone like Jesus. I've asked these three questions of men and women of all religions, even atheists and communists. The answer from all knowledgeable people is always the same, Jesus of Nazareth. to meet a single person who has honestly weighed the evidence, who does not believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God, the Savior of men, the promised Messiah. There is indeed no one like Jesus Christ. He is completely unique among all the human beings who've ever been born into this world. Wherever the true message of Jesus Christ has gone, people and nations have been revolutionized. New life, new hope, new purpose for living, have been the result. Indeed, without fear of contradiction, we can say that Jesus Christ is truly history's greatest revolutionary, the man who changed the world.
What do you want me to do for you? I want to see you again. Then see. Your faith has made you well. I can see. <laughs> Everything about Jesus was unique. The prophecies of his coming, his birth, his life, his teachings, his miracles, his death and his resurrection, his transforming power in the lives of those who love and follow him. Even his claims and his influence on history and the lives of many nations have been unique. In the next few minutes, I want to look at each of these unique features and explain why Jesus Christ is considered by knowledgeable people all over the world to be the greatest man who ever lived, the man who changed the course of history. First, the prophecies of his coming as the Messiah were unique and extraordinary. For hundreds of years before his birth, the great prophets of Israel had foretold that he was coming. The Old Testament, which was written by many individuals over a period of 1,500 years, contains more than 300 references concerning Jesus. For example, more than 600 years before his birth, the prophet Micah foretold the precise location of that event. Thus, when King Herod inquired of the priests and scribes where the Messiah was to be born, they replied, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Second, the birth of Jesus was unique and supernatural. Through the centuries, man has demanded signs that would enable him to discern what was true. God promised that the people could know when the true Son of God had appeared. The Old Testament records, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In making his written report concerning the life of Jesus, Matthew confirms the extraordinary way in which Jesus Christ entered human history through a virgin birth. This supernatural birth set the stage for his perfect life of righteousness before God and man. Third, his childhood was unique and unparalleled. Though little is recorded of the childhood of Jesus, what is known of his early years suggests a young life that is without parallel, unequaled in the existence of man upon the earth. As a boy, during an annual family trip to Jerusalem, Jesus slipped away from his family and went up to the temple. While there, he engaged several learned men in discussion, answering their questions and challenging their thinking with questions of his own. The Gospel of Luke records, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. After discovering their son missing and diligently searching for him for three days, his parents found him 
and asked for an explanation of his absence. Jesus' answer at age 12 announced the very purpose for his life on earth. Why is it that you sought me, he asked. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Fourth, his teachings were revolutionary and life-changing. His words and ideas are still changing the course of events today. Those who heard him speak during his life on earth were amazed, saying, no man ever spoke like this man. He said things that men had never thought or spoken before. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks will receive. And he who seeks will find. And the door will be open to anyone who knocks. Down through the centuries, hundreds of millions of people all over the world have agreed that his words are life-changing and have followed his teachings. Without question, the greatest teaching of Jesus was that salvation comes not by what man does for God, but by what God does for man through his Son, Jesus Christ. Salvation by faith, not works, is revolutionary because every man-made religion of the world teaches that man is saved by good deeds. Jesus repeatedly emphasized good works, but never as a means of salvation. Rather, God's Word teaches that good works are produced in us by the Holy Spirit after we believe. Fifth, His miracles were supernatural and transforming. In addition to the revolutionary message He proclaimed, Jesus caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and the dead to live again, that men would believe in Him as the Holy One of God, the promised Messiah. Jairus, I'm sorry. Jesus! Your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher any longer. Don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be well. Child. The crowds watched in amazement, and many were convinced that he was indeed the Son of God, the promised Messiah. Sixth, his death was sacrificial and revolutionary. Imagine any man predicting his own death, and yet that is exactly what Jesus did. Listen, we are going to Jerusalem where everything the prophets wrote about the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and treat him shamefully and spit upon him. He will be whipped and killed. But on the third day, he will rise. Jesus Christ was the only man in all of history who was born to die. 
his mission was to deliver us from the darkness and gloom of Satan's kingdom and bring us into the kingdom of God. By dying on the cross for our sins, he willingly took upon himself the punishment that each individual person deserves because of his own sin. The animal sacrifices of the Old Testament covenant could not take away sin. Jesus Christ came to establish the new covenant by offering himself on the cross as one sacrifice for sins forever. It is by believing that Jesus Christ died for us and by receiving him personally that one becomes a Christian. Seventh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was miraculous and supernatural. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. The resurrection is a fact of history. Peace be with you. No event in history has been so carefully researched and documented as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul records that Christ was seen after his resurrection by Peter and the rest of our Lord's disciples, then by 500 Christian believers at one time, and finally by Paul himself. The risen Christ is at the heart of the Christian message. For Paul goes on to explain, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also vain, and you are still in your sins. Eighth, the claims Jesus made about himself were unique and unprecedented. He declared that he was God when he said, I and my Father are one. And who but Jesus would dare to announce, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus promised, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. What mere man could make such a statement? And again in the book of Matthew, he declared, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Either Jesus of Nazareth was who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, or he was the greatest imposter the world has ever known. He has accomplished more good for mankind than anyone who's ever lived. If his claims are false, we're faced with a moral dilemma that a lie has accomplished more good than the truth. What other man could make these impossible claims unless he truly was God in the flesh? Ninth, the influence of Jesus Christ on people and nations through the centuries has been revolutionary and world-changing. No one in the history of this planet has had a greater impact for good than Jesus of Nazareth. His influence has altered the course of nations and cultures. His teachings have been the basis of justice and his sacrificial love, the model for mankind. 
But even more important, his resurrection power has transformed the lives of hundreds of millions of believers through the centuries since he walked this earth in the flesh. Trace the life and influence of Jesus Christ and you'll observe that his message always affects great changes in the lives of many nations. History is his story. Remove Jesus of Nazareth from history and it will be a completely different story. Beginning in Jerusalem, the early Christians took his message to the ends of the then known world so that before 20 years had passed, even the enemies of the faith admitted, these who turned the world upside down have come here also. Like begets like. History's greatest revolutionary has produced the most revolutionary men of all time. Think of the impact the writers of the New Testament had on their culture and continue to have on modern society. Claiming the name of Christ, they have changed the course of history. The influence of Jesus is still revolutionizing our world. Christianity has spanned cultural diversities, prejudice barriers, and political differences. Kenneth Scott Lederach, famous professor at Yale University and respected historian, describes the worldwide effect of Christianity in this way. Thus we see that in one way or another, the impulse that can be traced back to Jesus has flowed out across the world, such that today, virtually the entire planet has been profoundly altered, indirectly at least, by the gospel of Christ. The late C.S. Lewis, professor at Oxford University, was an agnostic who denied the deity of Christ. Later, he became a devout follower of Christ and wrote many outstanding books advocating his belief in him as savior. In his famous book, Mere Christianity, Lewis makes this observation. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said wouldn't have been a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but don't come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He hasn't left that alternative open to us. I have yet to meet a single person who has honestly considered the overwhelming evidence proving the deity of Jesus of Nazareth, who does not admit that he is the Son of God. Now, I've met many who do not believe that he is the Son of God, but as we've talked and reasoned together, they have been honest in confessing. I've not taken the time to read the Bible or to consider the historical facts concerning Jesus. Their resentment and rejection of Christ has been based upon an unfortunate childhood experience, upon the inconsistency of some Christian, or perhaps on the influence of a college professor. But always, they have admitted that they have not honestly considered the person of Jesus Christ and his claims on their lives. Some years ago, I was speaking to a group of students at the University of California at Los Angeles. Immediately following my address, an angry young student, whom I later discovered was the leader of the Atheistic Society on the campus 
approached me. I resent, you trying to make I resent your efforts to convince no these way. students to become Christians, he said. You have no right to impose your views on them. You're older and more mature than they are, and they're like putty in your hands. Of course, he had conveniently failed to acknowledge that his goal as leader of the radical group on campus was to do everything he could to influence the students to follow his way. But rather than argue, I invited him to our home for dinner, and he agreed to come. It was an interesting evening. We had a pleasant chat. I found him to be a very personable young man, brilliant of mind, very articulate. We had a good time together. After we finished our meal, I thought it appropriate to talk to him about Jesus. I would like to read something to you from the Bible, I told him. Hey, look, I told you, I don't believe the Bible. I really don't want to hear anything. He reacted strongly. I responded by saying, if you don't mind, I'll read a few portions of scripture anyway. So I turned to the first chapter of the Gospel of John and read, before anything else existed, there was Christ with God. He has always been alive and is himself God. Eternal life is in him. And this life gives light to all mankind. His life is the light that shines through the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. I continued to read and finished with the verse, Christ became a human being and lived here on earth among us and was full of loving forgiveness and truth. And some of us have seen his glory, the glory of the only son of the heavenly father. Let me see that, he said eagerly. I don't think I've ever noticed that. I don't remember reading it. He read the passage thoughtfully and handed the Bible back to me without comment. Then I turned to Colossians chapter 1, beginning with the 13th verse, and read, For God has rescued us out of the darkness and gloom of Satan's kingdom and brought us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who bought our freedom with his blood and forgave us all our sins. Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He existed before God made anything at all, and in fact, Christ himself is the creator. By this time, the young man was very sober and his whole attitude of belligerence and antagonism had changed. When I finished, we chatted a bit. I asked if he would write in our guest book. He nodded. The Holy Spirit had used the inspired word of God to break through his antagonism. This young man had come face to face with the revolutionary life of the risen son of God. After he wrote his name and address, he penned these words, the night of decision. Before my very eyes, the miracle of salvation had taken place. Who is Jesus of Nazareth to you? A myth? A mere man? Or the revolutionary risen son of God? Your life upon this planet Earth and for all eternity is affected by your answer to that question. Many have heard the claims of Jesus Christ and for various reasons have refused or neglected to accept his pardon for their sins and his offer of eternal life. Others have received him as their Savior and Lord, embraced his teachings, repented of their sins, and as a result, they have discovered God's forgiveness, God's freedom, and the abundant life he has promised to those who trust and follow him.
Each one of us must decide individually whether or not we're going to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. When we do, we can know and experience God's love and purpose for our lives. To do this, each of us must first realize that every person is sinful, every person is separated from God. Because of our stubborn self-will, we choose to go our own independent way apart from God. Jesus Christ, through his unique and revolutionary birth, life, death, and resurrection, is God's only provision for man's sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus confirmed this when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. 
He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Uh, I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's mocking. Amen. Dear Lord, if so, you may wish to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and for giving me eternal life. Take control of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. Does this prayer express the desire of your heart? If so, I'm going to invite you right now to bow your head and make this prayer, which you just heard, your personal prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and for giving me eternal life. Take control of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Now, if you prayed this prayer sincerely, you've just received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. You've experienced God's wonderful love and forgiveness, and you've become a child of God. God's eternal Holy Word promises that as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on His name. You also received eternal life. Salvation is a gift of God. Today, you've received Christ in your life by faith, and he promises never to leave you, never to forsake you. And as you begin your new life in Christ, you will discover 
that the claims of history's greatest revolutionary are true for you today. As you study his word and obey his commands, you will begin to experience the abundant life he has promised. You will know the love and fellowship of the body of Christ, the church, as you faithfully worship and serve in a local church. And I encourage you to experience the joy of helping others to meet this revolutionary person, the Lord Jesus. Take the initiative. Tell everyone you meet about this wonderful person and his claims and the revolutionary way he can change their lives. And remember, never, never forget his wonderful promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He's my savior. He's my king. Do you know him? Is he yours? Now, if you made that prayer, if you said that prayer in your heart, I'd like for you to come after we dismiss and let me know that. Or Pastor Arnold, he's here as well. If you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus Christ, we have a booklet here we'd like to give you and to talk to you about it. If you are a Christian and you've committed your life to Christ, we'd like to pray with you as well. We want you, really, to get a new appreciation for Jesus Christ. He's my king. He's my savior. He's my Lord. He's my friend. He's Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Sila, think and act on these things.